Hey, everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations and security policy, who's also worked for a number of liberal political campaigns and organizations. I've also gotten to live outside the U.S. for a couple of years, which, I think, puts me in a good position to comment for my American audience on some events of note happening outside the country, and to interpret for my, I'm pleased to say, growing non-American audience just what the hell's going on in American politics. So I decided to do this episode as a result of two separate interactions with friends. The second uh, was my friend Nate Wright, who I always mention during the credits of this podcast. He's the person who designed the artwork for OK Talks. Uh, Nate sent me an article about Republicans in the Senate moving to block raising the debt ceiling. Now, I'll go into more detail in a couple minutes about why that would be a total catastrophe for America and is thus so unbelievably dirty for the Republicans to threaten to do it. But Nate sending me this article and the ensuing conversation reminded me of another one that I'd had a couple days before with a friend who isn't from the U.S., but who spent a few years there. Someone who hates politics and has a, you know, plague on both their houses approach to the whole thing. But in a rare moment of us actually talking about it, she was skeptical when I said that the Republicans are actually just not playing the same game as Democrats, had trouble believing that they are as well, pernicious and hypocritical as longtime listeners to this podcast will know that I think they often are. The leadership, that is, the ones who are calling the plays. I don't mean to attack all people who are registered as Republicans. So when I meet people who aren't very engaged in U.S. politics, I sometimes end up having to explain the profound asymmetry that exists between the two major parties in the U.S. In this conversation with this particular non-American friend, I used a sports analogy. Um, so, as an American, I don't really care about soccer very much. Um, but let's say that I was aware enough of soccer to know that the Real Madrid soccer team beat the Barcelona soccer team 3-1 to one, uh, last week. So in this analogy, I'm aware of the fact that uh, Real Madrid beat Barcelona 3-1, to one, but as, as I mentioned, a person who doesn't really care about soccer, I didn't read any of the ensuing articles or pay much attention to the coverage and thus didn't know that the reason that Real Madrid won the game 3-1 to one is because they spent the whole time arguing with the referees, and then whenever the refs weren't looking, they kicked all of the players from Barcelona in the crotch. That analogy, I think, translates pretty well to American politics right now, because a person who isn't paying a ton of attention to the way things are in the States might see a situation where things are relatively evenly divided and there are two roughly equal parties fighting it out, when the reality is that one of those two parties is simply not playing by the same set of rules as the other. The Republicans are just not playing the game by the same rules as the Democrats. Today I'm going to discuss a few examples of this. I guess it also feels extra appropriate to shine a light on this fact in this episode, since my last one was basically a primal scream at the Democrats not playing hardball enough. So, way number one, in which the parties are just not playing the same game. Unlike the Democrats, for whom this is just not a part of their repertoire, the Republicans actively take steps to harm the United States if they believe that doing so will make the Democrats look bad. I don't think this is always the case, but it's par for the course in the modern Republican Party. Conversely, they will not lift a finger to make things better for the country if that might result in the Democrats not looking bad. Another move that the Democrats really just don't make. Example, COVID relief. So, 
The United States had the great misfortune to be hit with a once-in-a-century pandemic while also having the most incompetent president in our history in charge. But even if we had the best president ever, it still would have been necessary in the United States, as it was in most of the rest of the world, for Congress to pass some sort of COVID relief, some sort of um, you know, measures to try to protect the country and like save the economy from complete collapse as a result of the pandemic, some sort of economic stimulus, that sort of thing. Now, during the time when COVID first hit the United States, uh, the Democrats had the House, the Republicans had the Senate, and Trump was the president. And the Democrats in both the House and the Senate helped write and then voted for the COVID relief packages uh, that went through. They did this knowing full well that Trump would look better as a result of this happening than he would if they didn't do it. In fact, in a particularly crass but totally in-character move, Trump like actively held up the relief checks for a couple of days so that they could be sure to print his own name on them so he would get credit. But bottom line, the Democrats helped these bills pass knowing full well that Trump would get a lot of credit for it and knowing full well that they also could have simply blocked those bills allowed the COVID relief to be a complete disaster and known that Trump would have gotten the blame for it. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that because Democrats are not in the business of actively preventing things from getting better in the United States in the hopes of making the Republicans look bad. Here's another example of this. Government shutdowns. So besides making America look really stupid, government shutdowns cost taxpayers, end up costing taxpayers billions of dollars almost all the time. And they seem to be almost uniquely something that the Republicans do. Basically, if the Republicans don't get everything they wanted in a budget negotiation but was refused to pass anything, resulting in the government running out of funding and then most of the government having to basically turn the lights off, which is, again, stupid and something that the Democrats don't tend to inflict on the country but probably the most dangerous and certainly front-of-the-mind example of a way in which the Republicans are willing to risk serious active harm to the United States in order to hurt the Democrats is the debt ceiling. So before I get into what's going on in this particular uh, game of debt ceiling chicken, I should probably explain for some of my listeners who might not know, since it is a fairly obscure thing in American politics, what the debt ceiling, what the debt ceiling is. So basically, before World War I, Congress had to approve every single loan that the Treasury Department took out to pay for stuff that Congress bought. This became super inefficient with the amount of debt generated by World War I, so Congress created the debt ceiling. Which basically, it means that it gave Treasury authorization to borrow money from anywhere, from banks, other countries, the American people in the form of Treasury bonds, in order to pay for stuff that Congress has already bought. But periodically, Congress has to raise the debt ceiling, which, you know, is a fairly common practice until about 10 years ago was usually pretty drama-free, you know, resulted in maybe a few legislators grandstanding about how bad the debt is, but no more than that. But again, they already spent the money. This is just authorizing Treasury to get the loans to pay for the thing that they bought. Not raising the debt ceiling is like, okay, imagine you and your partner share a credit card, and you bought a giant new TV that your partner didn't want on that credit card last month, and now your partner says that they want to buy a couch, 
but you don't want the couch. So you don't pay the credit card bill to cover the TV that you bought last month. You may think you're just trying real hard to stop your partner from getting the couch, but the actual result is that your credit rating tanks, your interest rates go way up, you're never able to get a mortgage, and then the credit card company comes to repossess your beloved TV and also harvest your organs. Now, in this particular case, where the Republicans are, again, refusing to help Democrats raise the debt ceiling, it is literally so treasury can take out loans to pay for stuff they passed when they controlled the government, mainly the massive tax giveaway for rich people and corporations that was the only major legislative achievement of the Trump presidency. But knowing that most people don't understand how the debt ceiling works, Republicans are using it as a political football to attack Democrats' spending plans. And because if it does happen, meaning if we do default on our debt, they, the Republicans, can probably blame the Democrats for it because A, Americans don't know what the hell the debt ceiling is or how it works, and B, there's just this vague association with Democrats as irresponsible big spenders, and also the Democrats control the White House. So even if this happened, great, we could just blame them. So here's what would happen if, as we are on track to do in a couple weeks unless the debt ceiling is raised, America defaults on its debt. Our credit rating gets downgraded. This sounds like some small technical thing, but it would actually cost American taxpayers billions of dollars. The thing is, right now, the fact that interest rates on us are low for loans made to the U.S. government because we have a good credit rating means that we can borrow money super cheap. So big stuff, like infrastructure projects, social security, the military, I don't know, that cost us way less than they hypothetically could. If our credit rating gets downgraded, that's out the window, which will make virtually everything way more expensive for us. Also, we will send the global economy into a tailspin, which will likely dwarf the massive crash of 2008. Oh, and we'll look like idiots. This would do profound damage to America's foreign policy. Russia, China, every Islamic terror organization, and I don't know, the Legion of Doom, all working together, couldn't do this much damage to our standing in the world if they tried. Now, the Republicans know this. They are not, okay, some of them, yes, are morons. But the Republican leadership who are implementing this strategy, led by Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican Senate leader who I believe is currently being sued by Galapagos giant tortoises for bringing shame on their likeness, are not idiots. They know how much damage this would do, but they don't care. They believe that the Democrats are too responsible to allow anything like this to happen, so they'll maybe be willing to give in to some Republican demands to avert a disaster. The debt ceiling was raised for the record three times that I know of when Trump was president, and the Democrats never voted to block raising it to demand that the U.S., I don't know, cut spending on hair dye and orange spray tan or something. Now, the Republicans are doing this, again, just to give Joe Biden the middle finger, a guy, by the way, who for decades was the friend of many of these people and who entered the presidency making yet another good faith outreach to these folks despite the clear evidence that the Republican Party he used to work across the aisle with is just gone. So we have the Republicans' frequent willingness to risk or just go ahead and inflict massive damage on the U.S. to achieve their political ends, whether those be the perennial goal of slashing taxes for the rich and protections for the poor, 
or the more recent flavor of the month, just making the libtards cry. And think about that for a second. I mean, sure, the Democrats are a big tent party that does have some internal conflict in terms of policy goals, but the Republicans increasingly have no policy agenda at all. What was Donald Trump's policy besides hating immigrants and free trade? The Republicans at this point seem to be basically an authoritarian movement that provides a channel for resentment and raw visceral emotion, a primal scream of the people who peaked in high school and now resent the fact that the nerds they used to spit at are largely running things. Hey folks, before the episode continues, I just want to take a second to ask you if you haven't already, please go ahead, hit that subscribe button. Then after you do that, hit the little button next to it with the three dots or whatever it is on your preferred platform, hit share and spam that link out to everybody you can think of. That way you don't miss an episode and it really does help get the show off the ground, which I appreciate very much. All right, back to it. So the Republicans have insulated themselves from some criticism for things like being willing to inflict massive harm on the U.S. in order to achieve their short-term political goals by stuff like government shutdowns and threatening to blow through the debt ceiling by being you know, way more likely to tear up at the national anthem and getting irrationally angry at any perceived criticism of the United States, thus claiming the mantle of the most patriot ever, and thus somehow dodging the reasonable accusations that their approach to politics is actually really bad for the country. You know, this is actually kind of mirrored in the way that by really playing up the I'm a Christian card so aggressively, ironically, they end up getting away with shockingly bad uh, personal behavior that no Democrat besides maybe Bill Clinton could ever survive politically. Now, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I am going to go down this rabbit hole for a minute. I think it's related. Obviously, the most glaring example of a Republican getting away with almost comically unquote-unquote Christian behavior despite being a leader in a party constantly professing like aggressive piety and pushing basically some form of Christian Sharia as their social policy would be Trump, of course. But, you know, let's skip the low-hanging orange and go a little deeper. We're going to have a look at Newt Gingrich. But first, remember John Edwards? He was the Democratic nominee for vice president in 2004, and one of the top three most likely to get the nomination in 2008. Now, according to a bunch of sort of insidery reporting that has since come out later, Edwards' wife, Elizabeth, who maintained a very good public image, was just kind of horrible and sort of abusive to everyone around her in private, including John and his family, who she dismissed as a bunch of rednecks. But um, Edwards himself was apparently very faithful to her for quite some time, until finally on the campaign trail in 2008, he had an affair. Around that time, Elizabeth tragically got cancer. The affair ruined Edwards. Before it, the man was nationally very popular, one of the most powerful voices on poverty in like a generation. After it, he's a pariah. He cannot leave the house. I mean, this man pulls lower than pond scum. Now, I'm no, I don't mean to say necessarily whether or not Edwards deserves that. Obviously, having an affair while your wife has just been diagnosed with a terrible disease is a pretty gross thing to do, even once. Newt Gingrich, though, has done that twice. 
The guy literally showed up at the hospital to present divorce papers to the first wife while she was recovering from surgery for uterine cancer. And then he cheated on the second one as she was busy being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, at the same time that he was grinding the entire American government to a halt in an attempt to run Bill Clinton out of office for the fact that he had an affair. <laughs> what a time the 90s were. Then after both of those, Gingrich, unlike Edwards who's effectively ruined in public life, got to have a show on CNN, not Fox or Infowars or Russia Today or something, and then he got to be a leading Republican presidential candidate in 2012, like basically like the second runner-up, and then in 2016 he was one of Trump's top three choices to be the vice president. The Republicans bang on so much about the Christian values thing, but then when they do things like this, when Gingrich does, when Vance McAllister does, when Bob Livingston does, when Governor Mark Appalachian Trail Sanford, look it up, disappears for weeks and it turns out it's to go visit his Argentine mistress on the taxpayer dime, when Speaker of the House Denny Hastert does it, except in his case, the other woman in the equation was actually a series of underage boys, I could go on down the list of Republican politicians embroiled in sex scandals, but unlike John Edwards, when they do it, they just point to the sky and say, well, I just had a conversation with my good buddy Jesus, and he said, well, you did a bad thing, but that's okay. I forgive you, especially because you're fighting against the Democrats, the radical Democrats' socialist agenda. Eh, you know what? Before I move on, I can't resist naming one more of my personal favorites. Everyone, of course, already knows about Trump with his lurid public affairs with the first couple of wives when he was younger, and more recently when, as a morbidly obese senior citizen, he would burst into locker rooms full of teenage beauty contestants and mused on tape about his Esther's efforts to grab women without their consent and cheated on his latest trophy wife with a porn star when said wife had just given birth. But fewer people may have heard of Republican Congressman Scott DeJarlay of Tennessee. Representative DeJarlay is a typical faith, family, freedom, God-hates-gays, super anti-choice conservative who, according to divorce proceedings, pushed his ex-wife to have not one, but two abortions, and then did the same thing with his mistress, who was, by the way, herself only one of a number of affairs that the congressman had, more than one of which were with either nurses or patients at the clinic where he himself worked as a doctor. You can't make this shit up. And can you imagine a Democrat getting away with any of this? I mean, off the top of their head, any, like, semi-follower of American politics can name at least a few Democratic politicians who had their careers ruined, or at least severely tainted by a sex scandal, which is extra ironic since Democrats aren't the ones constantly injecting piety into politics and ranting about condoms in the schools and recreational premarital sex and pushing abstinence-only sex education and abortion bans. That's the other guys. And I do mean mostly guys at this point. Okay. So enough for now on the Republicans' almost comical hypocrisy. Check that. Actually comical hypocrisy when it comes to living the conservative Christian values they so love to espouse when it comes to sex life. Let's go back to another point of Republican hypocrisy and circle around to the way they're constant assertion of their own patriotism seems to insulate them from accountability for what could only be described as shockingly unpatriotic behavior. Back in the, you know, by comparison, good old days of the Bush Republican Party when they were a bit more subtle, the Republicans would suggest that the Democrats might not be sufficiently patriotic, 
for not wanting to, after 9-11, torture every detainee we could get our hands on or refashion the Middle East into a parking lot through the creative use of air power. In the time since then, the Republicans have stepped up the Democrats aren't real Americans thing, starting with the hick moron they nominated for vice president in 2008 and extending to their unsubtly racist campaign to brand the first black president as somehow foreign and their nonstop accusations that Obama was quote-unquote apologizing for America because he recognized that we've made mistakes as a country. Look, any time that the Democrats say anything even remotely critical about the United States, like acknowledging any moral error we've ever committed, or comparing, say, our healthcare system or paid leave policy unfavorably with those of literally any other developed country, which, to be fair, is not exactly a challenge, the response is usually some variation of, yeah, America number one, mother leave it, bitch. They seem to be asserting that being a patriot means you can brook no criticism of the United States. Unless, of course, they do it, and I'll get to that in a minute. As someone who does, in fact, love America and has left it, though, I think the Democrats largely have a more mature take on patriotism. Something like this. I'm a Mariners fan. Love the Mariners. I root for the Mariners. I love going to Mariners games. I hope they win. But their pitching sucks, which is making them lose games. I can acknowledge that and suggest that it be improved without loving the Mariners any less. Now, of course, the Republican take within this analogy would be to say, how dare you? You hate the Mariners. You're clearly not a Mariners fan. There is no better pitching staff, and by the way, no better team in baseball, nor has there ever been. And the only reason that it appears that the Mariners have lost seven of the last eight games is because of the liberal Seattle Times' biased reporting of the box scores. Now, for the record, I don't actually know if that's true of the Mariners. Truth be told, I've barely followed baseball since Ichiro Suzuki, possibly the coolest player in baseball ever, retired. But I think you see how the analogy works. Republicans hear critique of the country from Democrats as an attack on America, or at least their strategists do everything possible to paint it as such, and waste no time telling everyone that Democrats are really all just yuppie cosmopolitan elitists cloistered in their cities, disrespecting your real American values and wishing they were from somewhere else. This is ironic, for a number of reasons. The first of which is that Republicans have themselves been, as they would put it, attacking America for ages. Now, we've all heard, at least at some point, some Republican super-Christian politician railing against the moral rot of cultural liberalism that's taken hold in America with the drugs and the premarital sex and the gays and stuff. And more recently, Trump. Trump was able to run for office while attacking war heroes and saying things like, The American dream is dead. Or, the world is laughing at us, so much laughter, laughing bigly, very strongly. Or, in response to a question about Putin being a killer, we have a lot of killers too. You think our country's so innocent? If it had been Obama who said this to Bill O'Reilly in the Super Bowl interview, O'Reilly's head would have exploded. Yet, for some reason, none of those statements resulted in Trump supporters demanding that he apologize for his vicious attacks on America's pride, which is apparently so easily wounded when the Democrats have anything mildly critical to say. Beyond the running down America of it all, Trump also at least acted like a fully compromised asset of America's primary geostrategic adversary. And as I was getting at when I was talking about the debt ceiling thing earlier, the entire Republican policy agenda appears to be 
jack up the debt through tax cuts for the rich when they're in charge, and then do everything possible to break the country whenever the Democrats win an election. But the Republicans, I would argue, profound on patriotism, doesn't even then seem to even enter the conversation, because their voters are the ones screaming, love it or leave it, when anyone proposes any improvements, who have been trained to hear critique as a tax. So, they get away with it. I guess at this point, with their voters having been so radicalized against the Democrats by a couple decades of brainwashing by Republican electeds with the help of their colleagues over at Fox, I guess Republican elected leaders are incentivized to behave like this. Back when Bush was president, Bill Maher, talking about this patriotism thing, said of Bush's insinuations that the Democrats were insufficiently patriotic, what could be less patriotic than constantly screwing things up for America? This was, of course, in reference to George Bush's various mistakes. Now we're in version 2.0 of this, which leads me to have to say, what could be less patriotic than deliberately screwing things up for America to hurt your political opponents? I get it. Democrats, certainly those of us who are a little further over on the left, can be annoying. I can see how some on our side come across at times as lacking common sense, ridiculously easily offended, aggressively self-righteous, deeply condescending and judgmental of people who aren't quite as woke as some of us have decided that they need to be. But we're not that scary. Thinking it's worth burning down our own country to stop us, that is a powerful kind of hate. That's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you enjoyed the episode and don't want to miss the next one, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Amazon... Google Podcasts, any of the main platforms, I believe. If you really want to do me a favor, please like or review the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it. Or better yet, share the show with somebody who might also be interested. As always, I want to thank my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork. Until the next episode, thanks for listening.